you went to Black Beverly Hills. Like, what yeah. was, and this is Baldwin Hills in LA. What, yes. Yeah, so. I had never been before. I mean, obviously I've read about it, I've heard about it, but I, it was a shock. First of all, the homes were beautiful. There were coffee shops, you know, like it's not far from, I think, Century City Mall. And, you know, I just, I was like, what is this heaven? The, what is this heaven? And, and I'm like, you know, obviously I couldn't live there with Shane for Shane to be 100% comfortable, but. Why? Okay, wait a minute. All right, wait, 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 wait. You live in a totally white neighborhood where you have been completely like stared at, yelled at, totally made uncomfortable. And yet you're saying I live here. And like, why do you have to live under white gaze where your white husband and I'm not specializing it to, to, to Shane, but why can't he go under black gaze? Like, I, I don't understand. He's not used to it. He's not used to it. And I've lived it all my life. And, you know, the one time that we were on the subway and this black man was making all of these comments to him about our relationship, you know, he was felt threatened and, and uncomfortable. Right. So he can't handle it. I mean, let's just put it out there. My husband would never be able to handle being in an all black neighborhood under the black gaze of constantly. He just he does not have that mental capacity, whereas I've lived through this all my life. This is an interesting thing because I was, and the reason that I got so excited and pressed record because I had dinner with, with a friend who is black last week and she was talking, she lives in a white neighborhood and she's married to a white man. She was talking a little bit how races come up more in their relationship since George yep. Floyd, right? She's just more present in her relationship than ever before. And Same. they were thinking about moving and then she actually said, I've been used to white gays my whole life. I I'm fine where I'm living, like in Malibu Pacific Palisades. Like, I'm just used to it. You know, and then she proceeded on some, you know, she's like my Chanel bag. I like this. I like that. Yep. I don't want to be judged for being too white among exactly. my black community. So I just couldn't be here, hang here and be black among the white community. Like it was like an interesting, I had such compassion for what she was saying because it's almost like she's an immigrant in her own country. Yeah. And you've talked a lot about feeling guilty, like you're not struggling. So it's that thing like she's if I were to go and like move into a predominantly black community, like I'm going to have to deal with all of this all the time, where if I just stay in my white, like wealthy community. Yes. Like she gets followed around the supermarket, but she's like, I am used to that. Like I get annoyed, but I am used to that. And it's easier. It's the path of least resistance at this yeah. point. And that's fascinating to me. It's the devil, you know, God, that's just weird. So, but so what about, so Baldwin Hills? So I, I, um, I just want to go and have coffee there every day. That's, I want to find my favorite coffee shop there. And I never want to, I just want to go and have coffee there. And the other one was Inglewood. What's like, what, what, what is this heaven? So I, I mean, I just have to figure out. Have you been to, I'm going to, I, you know what, somebody, somebody should correct me like a listener. Like it's, I call it Lemert Park, but it might be Lemert. Yeah, I think it's Lemert. I love that neighborhood. Okay. And like Eric and I will go and I had, I, there's this amazing Caribbean restaurant down there that I love to go to and we love walking around. And I have to say though, it feels weird because we are white people in a black neighborhood. But it's what I love about urban living is you could be like, let's go explore a different neighborhood, go yeah. to the neighborhood. But I have to say, sometimes I feel like- sometimes I actually know two white people that live there. 
Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that it is a lovely area, but I would feel like if I moved in, I would be like, people are going to be like, don't gentrify this fucking neighborhood. This is a beautiful middle. We don't need you. Like we do not. They they bought a house anyway. Oh, it's, I feel some type of way about it, but I really love these two. So I'm just going to, I don't know. It's hard, right? Because like you think about a white person's effect on any neighborhood right like it's so loaded right like just if a black person moves into a white it's so loaded so what's interesting to me is you're saying this and I also I understand like I wouldn't I loved Lemur Park because it felt like very walkable if there was a park in the middle it felt more urban than like even where I live now in Atwater so I too was like and it's affordable still down there so it's that little piece of gentrification Mm -hmm. You know, but here's the deal. Like I'm cognizant of my effect on a neighborhood. Right. And it makes me uncomfortable. But then having another conversation with a different person, a different friend had just been up in San Francisco and he doesn't like it. He's like, it's just way too white. And I was like, well, where were you in San Francisco? And yes, it's much whiter than L.A. But he was like, and he's a white guy. And he's it's way too white up there. I was like, okay, but like now, okay, so we want to live, white people want to live somewhere diverse, but we don't want to ruin the neighborhood and we don't want to bring our gentrification white vibes to any neighborhood. But that's not true. I had a conversation, I've had two separate conversations in which I know this is not true. I had a conversation with a white person that I know who um, purposely moved into Harlem. Right. And they said to me, but I'm upping the I'm upping the property values. I'm bringing prosperity to the community. I was like, wow, the privilege. Oh, my God. I know. And I was just like, nobody even fucking wants you there. But okay. And this is the same person who like, you know, I don't know them that well. I I mean, I know them well enough. This is the same person who would be the type of person that would in their building, not hope to open the door to the black person who's been living in that building for 20 years because they just may may be robbing the building. In fucking Harlem, you cunt. Anyway, then I had a conversation with a a white person in my neighborhood telling me like kind of joking, but this was up in, in um, Sherman Oaks when I lived in Chandler, telling me, uh, yeah, but when you and that other couple moved in, you know, it brought down all our property values. Oh my God. The fact that people, well, one, I still am always, when you tell me this shit, I am always so surprised that people still say this shit out loud. Like it is unbelievable it. to me. They do it. And, they, and, and I just looked at her and I was like, really, that's interesting. I was like, cause my house is worth more than yours. And she um, was like, and how do you know about that? I was like, cause you live right there, right? Your house is worth $900,000. It's funny. Cause we just had friends who put their house on the market and with everybody was like, when they got their first offer, everybody was being that typical, like KG. Well, we got a good offer, but not as much as we wanted. And I was like, dude, once it sells, we're all going to look on Redfin and see how much the house sold for. Like, there are no secrets. Yeah. Just tell us the amount. Like it's, yeah, that's absurd. But I am aware. I was really aware when I moved to Highland Park, like Mount Washington, that I was a gentrifier. Like I was really polite in the community, knew, like I was very hyper aware that when I walked down like York Boulevard, like I was an interloper, you know, and I laughed because I was a late interloper because I walk into some store and there's a sweater on sale for $800. And I'm like, who the F can afford an $800 sweater in a Highland Park? Because everybody who's there are either renting and probably not affording it 
or they've just bought a house there because they're a gentrifier and they can't afford it. Like it's absurd, but whatever. But the fancy stores have made it. But I was really cognizant to make sure I was shopping in local stores, make sure I was appreciative while still being selfish about like when I sell this house, I want to make money. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And I want to raise the value. And it's horrible that race plays into any of this, but I am hyper aware that I don't care about the black gaze, although I have something to say about that too, but I wouldn't want to move into Baldwin Hills just because I want to respect that black communities should have black communities and should not be infiltrated by white people looking for cheaper, beautiful places to live. Like I just like it's, but it's weird, right? Because then we are making race as part of our decision-making, right? We're not being colorblind, but I was like right now in this world. But I don't want people to be colorblind. I need to put this out there. I do not want people to be colorblind because if you're colorblind, then you're trying to pretend like you're excusing, like you don't see me as a black person. And I need you to see me as a black person and respect me as a black person and protect me as a black person. And when you're quote unquote colorblind, which I hate that term so much, you probably are the ally that's not an ally. That's like performative because colorblindness does not mean it doesn't mean what we think it means. Yeah. And I think it's time that we really be cognizant of what we're doing. I mean, even on the street I'm living on, uh, it's a very diverse street in the sense that there's a lot, there's Latinos, there's Southeast Asian, there's just a lot of different people. I'm very well aware that we are kind of the new, we're the younger, it's hard to say like we're in our fifties and we're younger, but the neighborhood's (laughs) starting to turn over to like younger people and like the people next door who bought the house, like they're, I think in their thirties and he just went off to Harvard business school. So, I mean, who knows what's happening with the house, but the idea is that the neighborhood's starting to turn over to younger people and it's younger and slightly whiter or slightly more privileged people moving in because, you know, we're adjacent to Silver Lake, Silver Lakes, everybody's priced out of Silver Lake. So everybody's coming to Outwater. I mean, I get it, but I'm hyper aware that yes, I'm excited for me as a person who's looking as a Gen Xer who saved no money and has all her wealth is in like my whole retirement is in this house. So I get happy when people are like selling their homes and then people are coming in and fixing up the houses and raising the property value because I'm, I want to make money off this house. It's not just my forever home. This is my retirement. On the other hand though, I'm missing, I'm trying to like like there's vibrancy in this neighborhood because there's economic diversity and other kinds of diversity. And that's what makes this neighborhood rich. And I don't want to lose that. I don't want this to be where every single block has restoration hardware, West Elm design within everything like looks the same because, you know, it's, it's become whitewashed. I I don't like, I I don't want that. So it's complicated. I know, but you know, black, a a rich black family or a up and coming black family could come in and do over the house and, you know, and, but that doesn't raise, see, that's the thing. It doesn't raise the property value because they're black family. How does that, how does, how do people know it's a black family that on Redfin, if they stage their house and you're never home, like how do they know? Because they have to, that's the thing. You have to stage your house and make it so that you do not show that you are a black family living in the house. Oh my God, that's ridiculous. When we sold the house um, on Chandler, I took everything down that said that uh, this could possibly be a house with black people living in it. 
There was nothing in that house that showed you anything that there was a black person living in that house. Not one single thing in that house could have told you that. So when the people came through the house until the day that, and, and you know why I know this is per, why this is true. We had an inspection where these people wanted to come and see the house. It was the third time they came to see the house. Cause you remember we had a hard, hard time selling Ethel Avenue just because of the timing. Yeah. And these people came through to sell a house. They had a provisional offer and they wanted to do an inspection. But on that day, they only gave us a few hours notice. So I couldn't, I didn't have time to pack up the dogs and leave. Right. So I was in the house. The offer fell through. Then the next time we got an offer for the house, nobody knew, like I wasn't there. Shane was there with the dogs. This was a sec. They came to see the house like six or seven times. These people didn't know that the, a black person lived in that house until they um, signed the contract and they came to get all the other things. And then that's when I was there in the house and the house sold. Knowing that a black person lives in that house does affect the sale of the house because the first offer fell through, the second offer did not because Shane was there, not me. So I'm so now if we ever sold this house, though I kind of like this house a lot more. The more I live here, the more I think this is my forever home. More not so much about the house, but I like my neighbors. If we were to ever sell this house, I don't know, like. There's not not much that would have to change because it's not like the house screams that I'm a black woman that's living here. But I am getting a little bit more ethnic, I guess, as since the George Floyd thing, I'm a little bit more just little things here and there. So if we were to sell this house, I would probably have to take all that shit down. That is such a shame that that's to get the money that we want for this house. Yeah, but I mean, I understand like staging. I mean, you take a lot. It's funny, like even speaking about time, like you're looking at houses and houses that aren't staged. Like I look at old houses on the East Coast sometimes just to see yeah. and you'll see like it's an old house that seriously some old Italian lady like lived in. Right. And so it's it's got the crosses everywhere. Yes. And this, and I'm like, oh, driving the property like it is a little bit of we all want to embrace our ethnicity and embrace our culture. But when we're selling a house, we need to whitewash it as much as possible. Take all that shit down. I mean, that's a little bit of it. That's, I think, true yep. across the board now. But yeah, it's horrible that it's, I still think that our neighborhood is less white than Eagle Rock, where my friends just sold their house and our house won't do as well. Mm. And I just think it's a more ethnic neighborhood. People then start to, because I always aggravates the F out of me when people are like, oh, and there's crime. And I'm like, there's crime everywhere. Well, there's crime everywhere. And are, is that fear? So I just remember going to Costa Rica. This is a hundred. This is 1994. And my friend and I went and I know we were there about a month, even the Lonely Planet, which I am a big Lonely Planet fan. So shout out to Lonely Planet. When they said like, oh, when you go to the West Coast, like where the surfing is, it's really safe. It's really amazing. Blah, blah, blah. It's so free, like whatever. And then all of a sudden, when you go to the Eastern side, which is the Caribbean side, which is the black side, it's you need to worry, watch your pockets, watch this. I was like, okay, poverty, like, yeah, there's, it's a poor area. So duh, there's, you know, but it had this stench of racism that so upset my friend and I that we actually stayed longer in that area had no, I mean, it was just bullshit. It's just fear. It's that same thing when you hear people go into an urban area and they're like, oh, there's crime. There's this, I was like, that's your fear of cities. And mm -hmm. I was like, and code 
probably fear of diversity. Like I heard somebody actually talking about San Francisco, like crime has gotten so bad. I was like, you know, we're in a pandemic, it's close quarters, crime goes up. It has nothing to do with color. It has nothing to do with, you know what I mean? Like it, that's just close quarters, pandemic, you're going to have more crime. Like it's, but the stench of racism that comes with those kinds of conversations just upset me so greatly. How funny that this is the cop topic we're talking about. Why is it funny? <laughs> like, because we were supposed to be checking in. <laughs> I know. Well, it's funny. And then you're even talking about, you know, black gays. And I remember my, I, we've talked about this before, but like when I'm in Malawi, or even when I was in South Africa, I have to say, like in Cape Town, and I was like such the minority. One, I really think every American, every white American has to have that feeling because you have to know what it's like to be a minority, obviously by your skin tone, not by your ethnic decision on your identity, not on your sexuality, like something that's so clear, black, white, and having that experience and walking through the world that way, because it did change because I also like, I could do it. I mean, I would love to spend, you know, me, I want to move to Malawi and live there for a while, but I do have to say there were days where I just decided not to really leave the Jacaranda campus because I was exhausted. You know, it was like getting the constant Zungu, Zungu, like every time, like I was at the market or I was on the minibus, I was, or just like going for a long walk. I was like, this is exhausting. Like I'm actually going to just hide in my house and read today. And so I get it. That changed my trip Mm -hmm. because I, I just was exhausted of curiosity. It wasn't even racism. It wasn't even, this is what I mean. What makes it even harder for me and what, what was such a, I mean, it didn't change how I already, what I already believed, but I felt it in a different way. Does that make sense? Like, because I was very aware that everybody was just looking at me with curiosity because clearly, you know, I was likely a foreigner. And so there was a lot of curiosity about me. It wasn't prejudice, hatred. It wasn't racism. Do you know what I mean? Where, when you're, when I'm imagining you walk through like a white neighborhood, it might be curiosity, but very often it's tinged in racism. And so that's just shitty. Like I was like, I don't know how you don't live in Baldwin Hills. That's my. <laughs> I have my ways of getting around it these days. Right. It's funny. I follow this guy on TikTok called Modern Warrior and he's a Native American. And he posed this question. What do you do to combat racism in your neighborhood? And he said, I'll go first. He goes, I don't move out of the way when a white person is coming towards me. Right. So I started doing that. And another thing, another woman um, that I follow said that what she likes to do is when she's in a park or somewhere and she's in her car and a white person goes past her, she locks her door very loudly and with purpose because and shows fear so that she can show them what it feels like when she's walking past the car and someone's like grabbing their purse or locking their door like for fear. And so, you know what, I'm going to start doing that too. I love that. I love that. This is what I'm doing as a black person to combat racism. I do not move anymore in the stores or when I'm like in the supermarket or whatever. I make people go around me. And let me tell you, last night, perfect example. I was walking. I have to do these walks now because I have to lose a lot of weight. And so I have to do these like long walks. And I was walking. It was kind of late. When you say long. 
I just got to do something like 7,000 to eight to 10,000 steps. Okay. Right. And I don't do cardio. So this is anyway. So um, I am walking and I'm on my phone texting, but like it's a narrow street and I'm on my street. I'm getting ready to head into my block. And these kids, these two white kids come racing down the street on their skateboards and nearly hit me. So I turned around and called them a douchebag and fuck off. And they look at me like with this. And I was like, next time you fucking move. And then they just kept going. <laughs> All right. So they're going to probably be, oh, this angry black woman, because, you know, that's the trope that they like to give people. But you know what? They nearly hit me with a skateboard. This is what's interesting and ties into how always like racism can tie into misogynism, right? Because as a woman, I stopped years ago walking out of the way with men walking down city streets. Now, this definitely plays up more in San Francisco or New York where, you know, it's a walkable area. But the idea is it would always be like men walk straight and women walk around the men. And I was like, I'm no. And I have to tell you, there are times even here where it's we it's like a game of chicken. And I'm like, bring it on. We'll just bump and I'll then I'll say, excuse me. And they're so shocked that I didn't move out of the way. And I'm like, no, you move out of the way for me. Like it is. Are you kidding me? This happened with a white woman in uh, Rite Aid not two days ago. I didn't move. And then she just stood there and I just stood there and it was like a standoff for 10 minutes until somebody called her or something. And then she moved out of the way. I'm like, that's right, bitch. You move. Not 10 minutes, but it felt like 10 minutes. Yeah. No, I totally understand. I do it all the time. I mean, I get tired. Like I like to be polite. I like to do that, but it amazes me in a busy city, how people just sort of assume. And I was like, no, like I'm walking, I'm, you walk around me and I mean, I can be polite and we can walk around each other, but it always amazes me how men and I'm generalizing, but generally they walk straight. They expect people to make room for them. And I'm like, yeah. wow, freaking privilege. And I just, and it annoys me and I notice it. it. I really notice it. So I get it. I can't even imagine what it would be. Maybe seven or eight years ago, Shane and I did this like big trip around the United States. And part of it was we went and we had a week in Disney World. And I had the worst racial experience at Disney World that I've ever had in my entire life, where I actually felt like I could die. We decided that instead of doing like fancy dinners, we we're going to do fancy lunches because lunch is less expensive. And we were going to dress up and do fancy lunches every day. Dressed up, we were going to the yacht club. And this, I was wearing a really nice outfit and we're waiting to get on the like ferry that takes you to downtown Disney. And we were standing behind this like, for lack of a better term, redneck family. And the little girl was shaking her towel all over the place. And it had like sand and, you know, water. And I stepped back because I didn't want to get dirty. I'm getting ready to go to my fancy lunch. These people got so offended that they actually threatened to stab me. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That is, you know, it turned into a thing. And the hotel was like mortified because we were staying at the Port Orleans and it was all on camera because, you know, there's cameras everywhere. But they couldn't find the family because the family wasn't staying on the property. Anyway, long story short. It is very interesting how white people get so offended when a black person thinks of them lesser than I didn't want to get dirty. They were 
they they looked like a dirty family. They looked like the kind of people who, you know, just didn't care how they wore their stuff. And I was wearing my really nice designer outfit. I had my Chanel bag. I was like, fuck this. I am not going to be disgusted. I'm like disgusted yeah. by this family, right? So yeah. it always really amazes me as well if I'm dressed like that and I walk past a white person who is dressed like a bum and they grab their bags and stuff. Like, I want to steal from them. I'm like, bitch, did you look at your shoes? What on you would I want to take? What on you would I want to take? I barely even want to stand by you because you disgust me, right? So when I have that, so, and and I often have these problems, often have these problems because I am considered an affluent Black person. Often. And so this is one of these, like, again, combating racism. I'm just not gonna give a fuck anymore. If somebody does that, I will turn to them and say, what on your poor pathetic body would I want to take that I don't already have that's better? I'm just gonna do it. No, I understand. I mean, it's sort of I always prefer this is sort of that idea, you know, I'm we're this is ridiculous, but I'm gonna make a connection to dog training because we are we hired a dog trainer. To help Ooh. us with Olive because you're such a big dog. Yeah. So, you know, but she says you have to correct in the moment, like the very moment or even say good in the moment or yep. they forget. And so the idea is I think that solves so many problems with racism. Call it out in the moment and then move on. Right. Better yes. to say it than let it fester on you. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And just call it out. I have a story about dog training for everything in life right now. I can imagine. Well, you, I'm so glad you did this because, you know, I hired a dog trainer for peanut when we first got him because he was so had so much such bad separation anxiety and it changed us. And I really should have early on done it for Buttercup. But, you know, the pandemic. It's funny, even though Harry's only eight, the dog trainer called him grandpa and said he would have a hard time like learning. And I was just like, he's middle age. He's not a grandpa. Stop aging him. (laughs) But he isn't really learning. Like he's in the backyard too when we do it, but he's kind of learning. But he's, I know this doesn't matter. Like he's like, I've been alive in this backyard long enough that I know all this is bullshit. And so train the big dog, but I'm going to do what I want. But it's been interesting. And it's really training. It's training you more than anything. Yeah. And we're, and then Eric and I bicker about, well, what did the trainer mean when they said this? And what did the trainer mean? And so now we're fighting all the time, but that's whatever. So this was our check-in episode, everybody. But then we got carried away. So checking in, I have to say Mercury's in retrograde. We're in Libra season, which is your birthday Libra season. So there's that. Any bad shit happening with the Mercury retrograde for you? No, it's all been great. Like I am actually every, with the exception of my mother, everything is fantastic. And even my mom's not bad. Like it's just part of aging. She's just going to start that slow decline. And so that's what's happening. But you were such a great daughter out there. Everybody should know you were such a great daughter because you were so engaged and figuring out ways to engage. (laughs) Can I tell you how she told me I was ridiculous for doing armchair aerobics? She's like, you look ridiculous. (laughs) Your mother is so glamorous. Like she was like, she's like my mom. She's so good. She's looking at you doing all that shit. She's just, you know, come on now. Yeah, just calm down. Be elegant. It's funny because even with the dementia, she still 
has to have the shoes and the and, and the outfit has to match and it's adorable and it's funny because I brought her a pair of pants right because she had an accident I brought her a pair of pants and she said oh no see this is the color of my shirt so it has to go with the color of my shirt so I had to go back and get her another pair of pants I actually <laughs> love that I mean you know what I mean like why shouldn't she yeah, it was an interesting trip. I try, I'm trying to look, look at the pauses. When I first came back, I was angry and sad. But now, uh, like thinking back and looking at the videos of all the things we did together, it was a fun time. But yes, aside from that situation, everything has been going really well, except I switched nutritionists too late, just a little bit too late. And now I am at this really precarious position where I need to lose quite a bit of weight and not a lot of time to do it. My, I'm literally six weeks out from competition. And how and much do you need to lose? Like seven and a half pounds. Oh, yeah. A lot. So, so shout out to my coach and nutritionist Solana. Cause she's, she's really working with me. She's really working with me. And it always takes me time, like a week or so to kind of get into these, like this macro, like when we start cutting the macros. And so like last week was a shit show, you know, like I'm like, ah, and I didn't, I couldn't adhere, but this week, you know, I'm, I'm on to it. And it, the thing is, it's so easy. And I don't know why I put these obstacles and taking a whole week just to figure it out. Yeah, I, I do this it. all the time and it's, it's not hard. I just, what's your macro, easy. what's your macro level right now? It's really low. Cause I'm, I'm trying to force myself into almost like ketosis, but it's like, when I say low, it's probably high. <laughs> so many people think 1400 calories or some shit, but to me, that's all because, you know, I got up to 3000 at one point. Yeah, no, um, 1400 calories is a deficit for a lot of people. Like it oh, okay. shouldn't be like, they'll say you should be a deficit. You should be at 13 or 1200, but honestly yeah. that's restricting. That's not sustainable. Like 14, I think it's a sustainable cut for a while. Do you know what I mean? But I have to go lower. So I, we're starting at the 14. We're just, yeah. Starting. Well, I would imagine to lose that much weight, yeah. you might be very low to cut it. Yeah. And so, I might have well, to do a water cut and all of this other nonsense. It's just wonderful that the, the this is the card I keep pulling. So this is where oh, my mom's. Yeah, but that's not a, a bad good card. card. No, I know. I'm it's pulling the death card, card everybody. New beginnings. That's new beginnings. It is. So, and, I, and it's also letting go of old things. And so yeah. I'm very, I'm okay with it. So this so tell us how retrograde is working for you. Hey, are you still going to do the comp? I'm still okay. doing the tough mutter. I'm I am reserving my right to be skeeved out and turn around and go home. Like I am giving myself permission to say, I don't know if all you people are vaccinated and you guys are all too close for comfort. Like I am yeah. allowing myself to to back out on the day because I'm driving out to Riverside. No one's gonna isn't it masked? I don't know. That's I'm unclear with what the rules are, and I don't they're we're masked. Yeah. I mean, it's outdoors and so it should be fine. But sometimes, you know, when you're doing one of these tough mutters, you'll do a run and you're all spaced. But then by the obstacle, it kind of gets like you're kind of in line and you're kind of like trying to sort of keep your adrenaline. So it gets really closed. And I was like, I don't know what my comfort level is going to be. So I'm just I'm but I'm training as if I'm going good, but also good that you're giving yourself this out because yeah, because I'm uncomfortable it. and we are everybody at school seems like highly stressed and sort of expecting an uptick there's just like everybody feels unsettled and a lot of people are talking about mercury retrograde it's been interesting like at school where we had you know we have this in-person 
and remote option now. And you, you can only do the remote if you have, if it's flu or COVID or you're with somebody who's, who's susceptible, but it started out where I only had nine people online, you know, and I have a class of 80. So, you know, only nine of those 80 people are online. Now it's really up to 20. And I think it's, is it all COVID related? Are they making it COVID related because they're getting more fearful or are they tired of learning in a masked situation because we're all masked indoors here in LA. And so are people masked and are we just tired because I teach in a mask and I do find it exhausting. So I don't know, but it does feel like there's this great shift indoors again. And I just don't, I'm just trying to go with it, but it's making me like the check-in. I feel, I feel very unsettled and without the solidarity that we had last year from we're all in this together. Like we're all in this pandemic. We're all in this shutdown together. Like I'm finding it weirder because a lot of people are out. We're all back at work. Well, hopefully most of us are back at work in some way, shape or form, but there's everybody it's everybody. It's an individual decision on how they're going to approach this crisis. And so there's no, I'm exhausted. I just feel exhausted. That's how I feel. Like I feel tired and there's this great pressure. I think people are tired of being isolated. So there is this great pressure to get out calendar events and socialize. And I just really feel like not doing it. Wow. I'm saying no to so much, but I have an out. I have an out that you don't have that I'm training and I can't eat, I, I can't drink, I can't oh, that eat. You're- I, I mean, I can eat, That's. I don't want people to think that I'm not eating. I just don't want, I just don't want to go out. And I'm telling people, I'll meet you for coffee. I'll meet you for tea. I'll meet you for a walk around the Silver Lake Reservoir, but I'm trying to be like, I'm not meeting necessarily for a meal, partially because I'm paying attention to money right now. I'm trying to, I'm trying to stay focused. I'm not trying to I only want to drink when I want to drink, partly for caloric reasons. And it's people can say, right, you don't have to go out to dinner and drink. I'm like, yeah, but I like having a glass of wine. Like I will have a glass of wine if I go out to dinner. Like I just will. And I know that about myself. So I'm just not going to go out to dinner. No. And if you're not that important to me, we're not doing dinner. You know, like it's, it's fine. Like I love so many of my students will say, let's go out, let's do this. And I was like, And this is what's so hard as a teacher, which I wish people, I always try to, I have crushes on so many of my teachers and I want to, you know, mentors. And I was like, I want to, you know, go out with you and I want to have time alone with you. But I'm really cognizant that with the people that I'm in that position for, we go out to dinner and I will have a good time and it'll be lovely. But what they're yeah. getting is a shot of Professor Detalia's optimism. You know, you can go, you can do it. You can do, you can create your own life. Okay, yeah. that's great. And I have a good time, but that does take something away from me. Do you know what I mean? It takes energy out of me to do that. Like you're going to leave more energized than I leave energized. And I am being really careful about knowing, even though I find all those things fun, it's depleting. And so I'm trying to be really cognizant of not depleting myself because that's that boundary. Yeah. And it's a shame because I like a lot of these people, but I've been teaching for 20 years. I've, you know, there are a lot of people who are like, Oh, uh, you know, let's go out. Let's have coffee. I was like, I could do this all day. Yeah. You know? And I was like, no. So tomorrow night I'm actually doing a reunion like for a class. And I'm like, I'll be at Edendale and Silver Lake, like at five 30, 
if you want to see me tomorrow's Thursday, well, whatever, someday we're, you know, we're doing, I'm just like, come, I'll be there. I don't know if I'll have individual conversations with you, but this is the best I can do. So my check-in is I'm doing okay, but I'm a little like everybody. I wish everything were more settled. I wish I could say, I'm so excited because I'm going to Ireland for Christmas, you know, but I'm not because I'm not, I'm not going to travel. The weird thing is I am one with my airline of choice that I always book the aisle flight because I am that person that has to pee at least six times during the middle of the flight because I'm drinking a ton of water to keep myself hydrated in the dehydrating air, right? Every single flight I had to advocate for my seat that I paid for. Every single time there was somebody sitting in my seat and I'm like, you have to go, you have to move. And like these people, and it's, and I hate to say this, but it was always a white person was like, well, I don't understand why <laughs> you're there we so go. upset. They, but, yeah. but I'm not saying that this is a white person thing. I think this is a person thing. Right. They're like, I don't understand why you're so upset. So on the last flight, because I was my, I was exhausted. My flight was four hours delayed. I had to take some weird other flight to Atlanta to, to try to get to Connecticut on the same day because it kept canceling flights, whatever. Anyway, I was exhausted. I got on that plane with little patience. Right. And this guy was sitting in my spot and he's like, I don't know. This is my seat. I'm like, no, it's not. This is my seat. I'm showing him on the phone. And he's like showing me his ticket that says he's in a different seat altogether in a different row. So then he's like, I don't understand why you're upset. I said, listen, motherfucker, I paid for this motherfucking seat. And if you don't get the fuck up, we're going to have a problem. And then now, okay, everybody around me is getting really, why are you cursing at this old man? I'm cursing at this old man because I paid for this seat. I have waited all fucking day for this flight. It is my last flight to get home. Get him the fuck up off the seat. And then I was like, and then why are all of you Karens in my fucking business? Yeah. So then the the airline uh, flight. You were much politer, right? You weren't being thrown off the flight by the end of this. No. Were you? All right. No, because I was in the right. The flight attendant came over and was like, what's going on? And I explained and I said, listen, no shade to you guys, but I am exhausted. I have been flying since six o'clock this morning. I need this man to get out of my seat now so that I can sit down. And she looks and it says, you know, on my thing that I'm a silver medallion member. Oh, no, gold medallion member. That, and she was like, oh, you should have boarded the plane earlier. I was like, are you trying to tell me that this is my problem? And that's when she was like, okay, so you need to move. Because I was like, are you trying to tell me? Well, where this, was the seat? Was he just in the wrong row. seat? Where was his the seat? wrong row and seat. So he was meant to be by a window, two rows up. But he was like, he had put his suitcase above there because there was no more room. But see, this is the thing. I, they need to stop telling people that they can carry on bags when they cannot. We all know that there's not enough room for everybody to carry on a bag. I know this and I know the trick. The trick is if you want to, ca- if you want to check your bag for free, because you don't want to pay for that carry on, you wait until they ask for everybody to, because inevitably it always happens. They ask for everybody to um, check their carry on. They promise you it's going to get to the next flight. And with my airline of choice, I can track my bag all the way. So I do this every single time. I am not 
you know, because I know that this is going to be this bullshit production. Absolutely. So this is what it was, is that he had put his bag above that seat and he wanted to sit under his bag. Again, not my problem. I paid for the seat because I know that I will be that annoying person that if I took his seat, I would constantly going to the bathroom and annoy no, everybody you shouldn't in that have row. To. I mean, everybody should be in their assigned seat. That's why there are assigned seats. I always get kind of aggravated when everybody acts like it's general admission on a plane. I, I It always pisses me off because- right. This is the coach thing, though. Isn't this the thing about riding coach? So then I've never not ridden in coach, Lenya. So (laughs) anyway, so on the way back, I decided. Take your bougie ass self back to first class. (laughs) I wasn't in first class going back. I didn't want to, I didn't want to erase that many of my miles just in case. So instead I did comfort plus. No problem in comfort plus, right? No problem. I'm always like, I mean, I have never flown first class ever. And uh, people have all these stories about how they get up for free or up to, and every time I kind of look to upgrade, it costs so many miles. So, or I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm fine. I do the opposite. It is changing, but I am a window seat person because I like to be as far away from you as like anybody as possible. So I can lean against the wall and like kind of sleep because I just don't like that. It's always, I have to fight for a seat that I paid for. And what really upset me was it wasn't until all the other people around were getting involved that the flight attendant got involved. Yeah, no, that's, I would have just, I mean, here's the thing with that kind of stuff is I usually, I have stopped engaging with people in the public because like in a situation like this, cause things just get weird. I yeah. really just go tell the flight attendant right away. That's, but I do also realize in this day and age, and this is where it comes down to traveling in the time of Corona, that there's a lot of, there's just a lot of violence with flight attendants. And I was, don't want to be a part of that. And I didn't want to be a party to what if this man or all of these other fucking Karens decided that they were going to, you know, gang up on her because she was advocating for me. Right. She was another black woman. And so I decided that if we're going to stay in this kind of time of Corona for more than another year. And I do have to travel because I did apply for a job that will have travel involved if I got it. And I have to travel that I am going to always just fly first class. I have to tell you first class across every airline is overpriced. I'm not going to do that if, unless I'm not paying for it or unless it's a hundred percent miles. I just need to say this out there for all our listeners First class, yes, it's wonderful, blah, 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 but it is so overpriced. It is not worth it. You can get that sort of feeling with Comfort Plus or business. Right. I just, it was so, it was so difficult. And then with the delays, the constant delays because they're canceling flights and things like that. I I don't know. I feel like traveling right now. Yeah. It's exhausting for sure. And I don't know how you did it internationally. I was masked the whole time and I had my traveler's brain on. This is different than going to see family. Like it was, so I've done it twice. I went to the East coast in March and then I went to Albania in June, but Albania was easy. I had my travel hat on in cattle class, had my mask on. I wore my mask for 20 straight, straight hours. Cause I had an eight hour layover in And I got to say, though, I, you know, when you're traveling, I was just like, well, whatever happens, happens. Like I'm on an adventure, like a different kind of hat. When I was going to visit my family, I found it a little bit more like I was a little bit more uptight. 
But I have to say, even back in March, it was pretty empty. You know what I mean? Like, I think now yeah. things feel very like, again, it's that things are not normal, but we're trying to be normal. So everybody's yes. anxiety is here because mm-hmm. it's funny. I'm supposed to be going home again to visit family, see the East Coast, whatever. I'm thinking about going for two weeks in December and I'm hesitating on buying the ticket for this exact reason. Like, I was like, do I really want to deal? Because even like traffic in L.A., feels very back to normal, but anxiety yes. feels much higher. And I'm like, I don't want to drive. Like, so I the perfect recipe for disaster. That's the thing. The flight's completely full. hundred yeah, percent. No, full. that this is what we're doing, dealing with now. Well, this, this is it guys. So, you know, we've been talking for an hour. Thank you for listening. Interesting how race comes up in everything. Just, it always does, which is stay cognizant stay aware everybody um stay kind make it through mercury retrograde but it's also Very, season, so be happy it's Libra season Lenya's gonna be older than me soon so for like for a, a minute. month <laughs> for a minute <laughs> find us at womenbridgingthegap.com find us on Instagram or Facebook and anywhere you listen to your podcasts and Feel free to always shoot us an email or a DM and like, let us know what you're doing and let us know what you want to talk about. And definitely rate us five stars and send us around to your friends and family. All right. Thank you. See you guys later.